You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Love and work. Two words that are really confusing to us. Two words that we think actually don't really go together in this life. And although we feel like that they are at odds, that they don't coexist, they actually should go together perfectly in God's design for our lives. And here's what I mean. Creation started with love and work. And then that mandate, that call was given to us to love and to work hand in hand. But somehow, because as humans and after the fall, somehow we've mixed up and messed up this divine tandem that God always intended to go together. Love and work. Let's take, for example, the fact that work has literally become a bad word. It's like in in numerous ways. I'll give you one example. Just take your Apple playlist or your uh, Spotify or whatever it is and look for every song currently that has work in it that has absolutely nothing to do with work. And I'm sorry for putting any of those thoughts in your mind. But the reality is it's not what work is. Further the point of work being a bad word We spend our lives complaining about it. We spend our lives trying to retire from it. We spend our lives trying to make somebody else do it so that we could sit back and just reap the profits. And is that what God intended? Speaking of working, I bet many of you are like me. You've had a lot of jobs over your lifetime. Some you loved, some you didn't. I mean, I can think about all, all the way back to just the chores around my house. That was work. Things that I did and I didn't get paid for because of what? I lived there, right? Those are the things that you did, right? You're, maybe your mom and dad say, well, where's my allowance? Your allowance is you live here and you eat here and you take up space here. So get to work. And there's other things that, that, that I did. I remember kind of my first jobs where I was probably not getting a W-2 or anything like that, right? And it was just for spending money. Little side jobs. I had a little, you know, a, a route where I would cut grass. That was one of my jobs. And then I remember later on where actually it was a, a real job and I started having to do real adult things like pay for my own food and gas and toilet paper. Important things. Look, y'all act like y'all forgot about a few years ago. All of us were afraid none of us were going to have any toilet paper. It's a big deal. I remember some of the jobs that I just kind of enjoyed, like I really loved. I was a flower delivery person one time, and I loved that because everybody liked to see me. And then I remember jobs that I loathed, like being a flowery delivery person because I would get lost, and I hated that. And that was long before you had one of these telling you where to go. We had like a quadrant map in the back, and we took like a line and a, and a thumbtack, and we were like, oh, I'm in A24. Okay, let's see if I can find that. Y'all don't know anything about that trouble. <laughs> or maybe it was working at the tree lot for Christmas tree lots. That was one of those jobs that I hated. 
And then there's just certain jobs that I tolerated, like I was a dishwasher for a sorority at FSU. I tolerated it for one day. <laughs> nope, not doing this. Some jobs I enjoyed, some jobs I loathed, some jobs I loved. But what happens when you find something that you love, like really, really love? And don't worry, I'm not going to give you one of those cheesy, you know, quotes like, if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That is so much bull. Like, we'll put it on one of those posters, right? The, what are the, the successory posters. Put it in the break room so everybody will read it and go, yeah, that's why I'm here today. Because you believe that job will change your life. No. But what if there was something that you loved? And some of you, there are some things, some products that you love or some philosophies that you love. You love it so much and it's changed your life so much, you don't have a problem telling anybody about it. Some people avoid you because they don't want to hear about it anymore. What if we knew something that would not just make somebody's quality of life better right now, but would change them and fulfill every desire they had in their heart both now and for eternity? What if we treated Jesus like we do our favorite product or our favorite current human philosophy? What if we became an ambassador for that? As Christians, this is our mandate, what we just sang, that we would live to testify. But let me assure you, the phrase that would describe the kind of work that we're doing for Jesus would never be found on a successory poster. It's what the Bible would define as foolishness to people who don't understand why you love who you love and why you do what you do. But that's what we have been called to do, to share the love of Christ, to be ambassadors for the gospel. Watch this, to be co-laborers, those that work at the gospel with Christ. The work is hard. At times it's painful. There's not uh, just all these highs. Sometimes there's highs, sometimes there's lows. It's not meant necessarily to bring money and popularity and fame and ease. But in the end, when it comes down to it, we will know and we will see that if we testified of the love of Christ that has been poured out for us, it will be worth it all. Yeah, one person can applaud that today. It will be worth it all that we've done what God has called us to do because we loved him. So today, I can't really think of some songs that we just sang about testifying that you all just declared really loudly and passionately. You could just sense the presence of God here this morning. But this is what Share the Love is all about. It's really just a, an idea that God put in my heart at the beginning of the year that we would synergize our love for God and for other people. We're already two weeks into Share the Love initiative that we've been talking about, practically, spiritually, asking all of you as representatives, as ambassadors of the gospel and of this church to share the love that you've received from Christ, to share the love that you have for the body of Christ that God has put you in spiritual family with. And our initiative's gonna be going on between now and Easter Sunday. However, as you know, it doesn't end there. It's just this concerted effort of what we're doing and what we wanna see between now and then. That's the period of time. And what is our practical goal? Our practical goal that we've set for us is that we would see 20% growth in every measurable that we have across this church in kids' ministry, in youth ministry, on campus, and here in the adults in our worship services. That we would see growth in our, in our 
con- conversions of lives and baptisms. We'll see, we would see growth in the generosity of those that call this place home and that give, that there would be a 20% growth in all of those areas. I even prayed today that we would begin to see the fruit of that this morning. And as I look out across this room, I'm seeing it. Here's what I want you to understand from a spiritual standpoint. Share the love is a synergistic way to get all of us doing the work of the gospel because of our love for Christ, because work and love go together. A concerted effort, if you will. So get your sharing list. Maybe you've already got it. Maybe you haven't picked it up yet. Get your sharing list and get to work. And not just for I checked it off and I'm done, but for the rest of your God-given life that we would be sharing the love that we've testified about this morning in our songs that we've received from Christ. I believe God is already doing something unique in this church and has been for quite some time, but I am praying and believing there's something greater. I sense that even as I was praying this weekend and I took some time alone with me and God, I just sensed an excitement for what God was doing when I was praying for you and praying for this initiative that God is about to do something that, that, that blows our minds in and through us for his glory. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about our love for our neighbor, our love for the church, our love for the campus, our love for worship, our love for the poor and oppressed, our love for reconciliation, and what that says about the gospel so that we can share that love with others. Sharing the love is about how we love all those things so much that we can't help but share that love with other people. There's an inextricable link between love for God and our work for God. But we don't get them mixed up. We work for God because we love God, not to be loved by God. So as I talk about this today, we're going to start where all of this starts, because without none of it, without it, none of this is actually going to work. And all of this starts with our love for Christ, and maybe better put, Christ's love for us. So if you have your Bible today, we talked about this whole series possibly being in the book of like 1 John, um, and maybe a lot of it will be, but that's where I'm starting today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And I hope, this is my hope, this is my prayer this morning, is that, that this message and this series, but this morning in particular, this message would catalyze your love, catalyze our love for God, for Jesus in such a way that our love for him is unrivaled by any other thing or passion or pursuit that we have in this life. That there's nothing that compares to the love of Christ that we know and that we've experienced. I want to fan that flame this morning. I want the Spirit of God to blow on that flame this morning. And I think this starts with knowing and believing the love that Jesus has for you. That's where this starts. Pastor Keevan already used the verse this morning. But let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And it says this. I get there eventually. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then if you skip down to verse 19, a little bit of a summary from John. We love because he first loved us. Lord, let your word go deeply into our hearts this morning. 
See, John's giving us some insight as we read the scripture here, and he's also defining what I believe our difficulty is when it comes to love. Because this love that John is defining is not a natural love that we can come to by natural human means, ever. That's not what this is. This love that John is speaking of is not natural. It is, it is actually coming from God. It's the Greek word agape. Maybe you've heard that before. It's a divine love, the kind of love that is faithful, that's committed, and it's an act of the will. Agape love does not come naturally to us as humans. Because of our fallen nature, we're really incapable of being a source of this kind of love. We are not the source of this kind of love. The love John is referring to originates from the Father, became manifest through the Son, and is now poured out upon us by the Holy Spirit. That's what this love, that's what Ephesians and Galatians and Romans and all of them talk about. This has, this has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us when we became children of God. That's this love. Then in verse 19, as I said, John summarizes really that entire chapter again when he says very simply, we love because he first loved us. Notice the we. This is indicative of the triune God. We love. We love, not just you and I, but we. It's, it's, it's corporate. It's because of the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Spirit. Because we love. We love because he first loved us. The love with which we love is not our own. It's always God's love. Or it's Jesus' love in us. That's the source. And if we abide in the Father and in the Son, the love also becomes our own love. It's not that God reveals his love apart from us or in spite of us but that he invites us into love even as he loves. So we return to him, his own love, and love him with the gift of his love. I don't know if you've ever read this verse and misunderstood or misinterpreted it, but when John says we love because he first loved, it could mean that God's love enables our love for him through the incarnation, through the crucifixion, through the atonement, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Not that our motive to love God is because he did it first. Like, well, God, you love me first, so I guess i got to love you. That, that's not what this is saying. Or it could also mean that in beholding and seeing and spiritually apprehending God to be the kind of God who loves sinners like you and I with an amazing grace and with such sacrificial love that we are drawn to delight in him for who, who he is himself. Oh, I love you because of the love I see that you have for me. Now let's go back to verse 10. God's love for us defines what true love is and what true love requires. What's the requirement of true love? The commitment to sacrifice one's most beloved possession for another's gain. That's what true love is. In this case, God the Father, love required that he send, verse 10 says, his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how we begin to mine out the depths of God's love for you. In Jesus, we see and begin to know how much God loves us by how much it cost him. We know how much Jesus loves us because of how much it cost him. It cost God his son. It cost Jesus his life. It was a little bit more than a few bumps and bruises. Jesus died. And he took your place. That's why Romans 5, 8 explains, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. My heart cry today, my prayer all week has been that we would truly have a love for Jesus that we're willing to testify about. And in order for that to happen, we first have to know and believe God's love for us. That's where we're starting today, church. See, you can't love others well until you first know how well God has loved you. It's impossible. It's important. And I think some of us have, have, have a hard time experiencing and receiving the love of God. I think we've heard it. And I think we've heard about it so much. Some of us have been in church a long time. We've been around. We've heard God loves you. We've heard that so much that we become desensitized to the awesomeness of a statement that you are beloved by God. It, is, it, it doesn't mean to us what it really should mean that you are loved by God. Or maybe it's so unimaginable that you just kind of shrug and nod. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I accept it. I don't really believe it and know it in the depths of my heart. But I, okay, God, God loves me. I got to tell you that when we are gripped, captivated, apprehended by the love of God, we don't just shrug our shoulders and go, okay, God loves me. That's not the response of one who knows they've been loved by God. Scripture tells us there's no greater love than God's love for us. His love is so great in proportion, what? To the costliness of the sacrifice. That's how you know how, love, how great someone's love for you is. In proportion to the costliness of their sacrifice to love you. And his sacrifice was horrendous. So back to the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we look at his love as something awe-inspiring, but at a distance, kind of in a general way, like we do at a sunset or a sunrise or a waterfall that we've seen before? Oh, that's amazing. Seen it. Heard it. Been taught it. Or do we look at it and feel awe? And do you feel personally loved? Not like God loves everybody. No, God loves you personally. Galatians 2.20 tells us that's how you should view the love of God. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. and It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you think Jesus only loved Paul personally? God didn't just love Paul personally. He loves you personally, and he gave himself up in the most horrific of ways. The reason we love Christ is because of how he loved and proved his love for us. Yes, we love because he first loved us, meaning because we believe and receive his love that has been poured out upon us. We love him for all that he has done, for all that he did, and all that he is going to continue to do for our benefit. But we have to believe that. We have to receive that. We have to know that. Believe that we are loved. Believe that Jesus loves us. Believe that we have had a substitute that has taken our place so that we might be saved. Later on in 1 John 4, we read this declaration, verse 16, and so we know, here's that knowing, and we rely, some translations say believe, on the love of God. And so we know, and we rely on the love God has for us. 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I like the way one translation says that we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. So we've come to know, we've come to believe, we've come to rely on this love which God has. The key to believing, the key to knowing, the key to relying on that love that God has for us is seeing it revealed, seeing it revealed in his word as we read his word. That Jesus has loved us. See, a few people, and I say this because this is where we are in context, a few people had the privilege to see Jesus, God incarnate, with their own eyes. They watched him teach. They watched him heal. They watched him suffer. They watched him die. They watched him rise from the grave. But Jesus pointed out to Thomas that there was going to be a different plan for the rest of us. Blessed are those who believe and don't see who believe that God loves them and don't see physically. In many ways, I believe this is a higher love. By faith, we know and believe that God loves us. The same combination of knowing and believing is the way Peter said it earlier in John 6, 60. And he was saying, listen, we know and believe. Actually, he says it reversed. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The order of believe and knows reverse, but its place is still all the same. It's how we come to Christ. The fact is that faith may lead to knowledge and knowledge may lead to faith. And here the knowledge of God's love necessarily precedes the ability to rely on, to know, and to believe the love that God has for you. The sequence of thought is this. First, we must know and believe or rely on the fact that God loves us. Second, we come to realize through relying and believing on his love or having faith in his son, the meaning is the same, that in his very nature, God is love. Third, we discover that to live in God means to live in love. The fellowship we have with the Father, the fellowship that we have with the Son is perceived as nothing other than a fellowship of what? Love. It's who God is in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So I want you to know, I want you to believe at the core of your being, you, my friends, are loved by God. This is how we love Christ, to know that he loves us first. This is how we are saved, to know that he loves us first. The more we know and we believe his love for us, the more we are able to love him back. Here's my second prayer today. That along with knowing, along with knowing, believing, and relying that God loves you, that we'll begin to comprehend the depths of the love of Christ. Well, Pastor, knowing and comprehending the same thing, I guess you could say that, sort of. But here's where I believe the difference is. I think there's a knowing that initiates our love for God. And I think there is a comprehending that perpetuates our love for Christ. See, that you would come to know and believe and rely on the love that God has for you through his son so that you could be saved and give your life to him. But it doesn't stop there, my friends. Now we go on comprehending and apprehending again perpetually over and over again the Father's embrace so that we don't begin to work for his love, but we begin to work out of his love. So how do you comprehend the incomprehensible? Because that's what we're trying to do. My simple answer is to remember and meditate 
upon the sacrifice made and the cost paid to love you. This is why Jesus said, as often as you can, remember what I did for you on the cross. Why? So that you can meditate and comprehend, maybe in a different way. It's like every time that I would take communion or every time that I would think about this and remember this, that I would apprehend or comprehend something more about the love of Christ that maybe I'd never seen before. It's what Paul says and prayed in Ephesians. I want to read it from two different translations because as I was reading it this week, it just was like, yes, this is the prayer. This is the prayer for us in focus. I'm with you, Kevin. My, this thing keeps getting caught in my beard too. So that, Ephesians 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, here's Paul's prayer. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It surpasses what? The knowing that started it. It's going beyond, okay, I know that you love me because of what Christ did, but now this is surpassing the knowledge of even that, and I'm beginning to comprehend this love in an even greater way. I love, here's, here's how the message says it, and I love this. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Same verses. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly, what? On love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, I love this, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love for you. Reach out and experience the breadth Test its length, plumb its depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Whoo! To comprehend the incomprehensible is a lifelong pursuit of the one that loves Jesus. One that takes working at your relationship with Jesus. Here's where the work comes in, my friends. Not without God's grace, but it is hard work. To know and to believe he loves you, to know the depths of his love by exploring the depths of his love. How do we do that? By considering the cost to Jesus. We already talked about that. By considering how little we deserve that love. That we did nothing to earn it, but he gave it freely. By comprehending the greatness of what we received in this life and in eternity because of this love. To comprehend the freedom with which Jesus loves us and has allowed us to live. He laid his life down for us freely. He didn't have to, but he chose to do so without regular experiences of the Father's love, without spending time with him. We forget whose we are and our relationship shifts and we begin to work for God because it's more important to us than loving God. What we do becomes more important than who we are, which are sons and daughters of a God that loves us. Then lastly today, the only way I know to better comprehend so that we can more deeply know, rely, and believe the love of Christ is to cultivate a love for Christ. I want to know it because that's where it starts. I want to know that I know that Christ loves me, and he does. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to comprehend and explore 
the extravagant dimensions of his love. But I'm going to have to work at cultivating that love for Christ. You ever cultivated a field without like a machine? It's work. I haven't. So I just heard about it. In case you're wondering if that was one of my jobs. No. I'm praying that we will be people who love to work at cultivating our love for Christ. (laughs) That we're lovers who work, not workers who love. It's a big difference. I think we best cultivate a love with Christ. Say, well, how do we do that, Pastor Brent? I'm like, well, it's going to sound pretty uh, normal. I don't want to get so prescriptive that it seems like that we can harness a hurricane because we can't. What cannot be fathomed should not be oversimplified. We cannot and should not dumb down the love of God into some kind of little jingle or commercial. That's the whole point this morning. It's immeasurable. It's extravagant. It's dimensions. The dimensions of God's love are unsearchable. They're endless. And yet we spend our lives exploring its depths. What is incomprehensible? God's love cannot be fully comprehended, but it can continually be apprehended if we will cultivate our relationship with Christ and share that love as his representatives in the earth. Practically, we cultivate our love for Jesus in so many of the predictable ways that many of you have heard me teach. Many of you have told others. We spend time with him. We pray. We worship. We gather. We persevere. We do all the things that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is. We serve. We work. And we lay our life down for him. Because he loves us and he did it for us first. We must work for the sake of the gospel. But because we are loved and we're growing in our love, that's how we know it'll be worth it all. We often boil our love down to God and we'll say something like, you know, the scripture says, well, if you, obey, if you love God, you'll obey his commandments. Yes, because you love him. Not to get him to love you. Love does include obedience. But it's more than that. We obey because we love. The source of our love is being transformed by a love for him, treasuring, admiring, delighting in, being satisfied by this most beautiful treasure of all, the treasure of Christ. The nature of love, Paul says in Philippians, is I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So where does love come from? The source is God, his love. Let me close with this. You remember the story? And if you don't, I'm going to kind of tell you anyway, so it doesn't matter. About the Pharisee who asked Jesus to come to dinner in Luke 7. 
He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss Jesus' feet. He didn't do anything to show his love for Jesus and his affection for Jesus when he showed up. And then suddenly there's a prostitute who shows up. Leaning over Jesus' bare feet with tears in her eyes, wetting his feet and then taking her hair and washing Jesus' feet. This is scandalous, provocative. The Pharisee's bent out of shape and says, if you knew who was doing this to you, you were a prophet, you'd know she's a sinner. And then Jesus tells the Pharisee a story. He says, listen, there's a man who had two debtors. One owed him like $5, one owed him $5,000. He forgave both of them. Which one do you think is going to love him more? The Pharisee says, well, the one who had the greater debt forgiven. Jesus says, you've answered rightly. He says, when I came in here, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. But from the time I came in, she has wept over my feet, washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair because she has been forgiven much. Here's the story, church. We've all been forgiven much. We're all just like that prostitute who's been forgiven more than we can even imagine. So where does love come from? It comes from being stunned by that. By being stunned by the love of God. I think we need to be stunned by the love of God again, church. The cost to him, the benefits to us, how undeserving we are, and the freedom that it's brought us. This love comes from being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus Christ, dying on our behalf, sacrificing his life, rising again, though we had no merit to earn it in and of ourselves. And when that grips you, when that is something that you know and believe and rely on, something that you begin to comprehend because you're cultivating in the work of the gospel the love that you have for Christ and you have a delight in him and you're satisfied in him, all of this begins to change your love for him and your love for others. Before we sing this morning, another great song that God has sovereignly orchestrated for the morning. Let me get out my glasses and read this. This is just going to lead us in to a prayer. Because genuinely, <laughs> I, I was envisioning this morning, all of you, and I don't care where you've come from, I don't care if this is your first time, I don't care if this is your millionth time, I don't care if you're watching online, that you would sense and feel the love that God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, has for you by His Spirit. That you would sense and feel that. Samara, are you feeling that? <laughs> I didn't feel like love, but... Okay. All right. Before I lose the moment, I want to read something. It's from a book, obviously, but this isn't the book it's from. It's quoting another one, Into Abba's Arms. Spoken to someone as they're just praying to God. And here's what I, as I was reading these words this weekend, this is what I wanted us to sense and know. 
Church, you are just beginning to get an inkling of what I mean when I say, I love you. I mean, I really love you. You matter to me. Those times when you are most enthralled, most moved with the love for me, are but a dim reflection of how much I love you. And no matter how wonderful, how loving, and how merciful you come to know that I am, I am far more. No matter how much you search the extravagant dimensions of God's love for you, He loves you so much more. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.